0: We're starting a new series today, and it's one that's time to coincide with this season of celebration of our centenary that we've just entered into. It's a series intended to help us reflect on where we are at present and where we sense God might be uh, leading us to in the future. Uh, let me begin by explaining the title uh, to you. I'll tell you a little bit of what I do mean by that and then what I don't What I do mean by the title uh, "2020 Vision," um, if you know that phrase at all, you'll know that it talks about a clarity of vision. I have to be honest; I didn't really know what it meant. Uh, I knew that it meant if you had 2020 vision, you had good vision, but I had to look it up. And 2020 vision means that a person can see from 20 feet what. A normal sighted person should be able to see from 20 feet that's what it means Um, i'm sure there's a fancier way of putting it but that's what i distilled it down to it means being able to see normally whatever that is to have at least average eyesight to to stand and to look on something and to see it as a normal person would see it my prayer is that as we look at some of this stuff together for the next few weeks that there will be a sense of this <clears throat> making sense, and as we listen to God's word, as we're guided by His Spirit, that we'll see clearly what we ought to be seeing. So that's 2020 vision. There's a second uh, aspect to this, and you, you might have guessed on that. Um, it's it's to do with time. It's looking to the future. We're living in 2014. 2020 is a few years down the line. So we're, we're looking five, six years into the future. Uh, we're asking the question who are we today and, and how we, might we progress? So if that's what I do mean by 2020 vision, what do I not mean? Well, let me tell you, I am not going to present the church's comprehensive five or 5.5 year plan don't expect specific commitments to actions that we're going to undertake in 2018 2019 and 2020 you know the kind of thing i'm talking about where uh, somebody says in a context like this stands up and says in the next five years we want to become a church of 500 families In the next 10 years, we want to have planted 10 new churches. That kind of thing. If you're looking for that or waiting for that, it's not coming. Um, So be be aware of that just now. I'm going to share these next few weeks some observations of my own, but, but they're born out of conversations and thinking about the life of Kirkpatrick Memorial Asking where, where are we at present and, and where might God be calling us to? So it's a pretty humble um, sort of approach to this vision question. Let me offer you one summary sentence of our 2020 vision that we're going to share over the next four weeks. Um, there's another slide there. So a church where we disciple one another while reaching into the city. Where people of all ages participate in the discipling of the young so there's four different aspects there. Discipling one another, reaching the city, discipling our young, and valuing the ministry of older disciples. These are all things that have been on my mind that are on the minds of our church leadership. But when I put them all down on the page at once, I noticed that they, there was a sense in which they were made of two pairs and, and there's a balance around them. So we disciple one another and that is that we continue to focus on the quality of our shared life here. And at the same time we're paying attention to what God is calling us to beyond ourselves. Does God have any plans for Kirkpatrick Memorial beyond this immediate context in the city? And then the second pair, we're going to make... Discipling our children and young people an absolute priority. We must. Have you ever noticed how many, seemingly hundreds of them, uh, go out on a Sunday morning? Of course, that's a priority for us here in Kirkpatrick Memorial. But we want to do that not by sidelining any older members, but actually rather by drawing them into the process and saying, What do you have to share that can help us disciple our younger people? So I hope there's a bit of a balance to these four things. We'll we'll deal with one per week, and uh, it'll be a short four-week series. So let's begin with this first idea of discipling one another. When you see that title on the screen, if you've been around Kirkpatrick at all for any length of time, that, that looks like possibly the blandest thing I could put on the screen. Because that's all I've talked about here for 10 years. So to talk about being a church, discipling one another, helping each other follow Jesus, you might be asking, well, well why, why do we need to talk about that again? Or why, why would we be talking about that now? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Right about this time last year, we did a lot of thinking together as a church about how we wanted to make our network of small groups, discipleship groups, a more... A strategic, more fundamental part of our church's life. So taking a few moments today to revisit that emphasis and that idea, it seems to me a year later, might just be a helpful thing to do. But there's a second reason why I think it's timely to think about how we disciple one another here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. About a couple of years ago, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church sent out this big uh, well edict i was going to say that's uh, a bit uh, it wasn't wasn't that bad they they encouraged every church to review their pastoral care Uh, i think the deadline for it was in september they'd given us about a year and a half to get ourselves organized but in true kirkpatrick fashion we missed that and we got to doing it in round about february just a month or two ago A subgroup of our Kirk session conducted that review and they came up with a, a pastoral care policy document. We would love it if anybody's interested would read that. We didn't assume that everybody would be interested. We didn't print off 300 copies and take down half a rainforest. But what we have done is we've printed off 20 copies and they're on the table out there in the vestibule. And we've also put a PDF on the website which you can just go to the homepage, resources, and it's in behind there, Pastoral Care Policy 2014. I've said that we're a church that's interested in discipling one another, and that's not new language for us here, but but what does that really mean? And in particular, how does it relate to this idea of pastoral care? This question we were asked about reviewing our pastoral care We tried to tackle that question in the very opening discussions of this little subgroup and then in the opening wording of our pastoral care policy. And we ended up at the very start of the policy saying this. We believe that Jesus Christ calls every person, regardless of age or gender, to follow him, to be his disciple, to enter into fullness of life that only he can offer Our greatest desire in caring for one another is to see each other respond to Jesus' invitation and to grow in maturity and in the life that he came to bring. That might surprise you as a a definition of pastoral care, an approach to pastoral care, because I think intuitively when we hear those words we're thinking... Pastoral care, yes, that's what the church does for people who are sick or for people at a time of bereavement or other sadness. Whenever we talked about this as a group, we recognized how those are wonderful things, how it's of great importance that they not only remain in our church's life but but grow our expressions of that kind of care. But we soon came to the conclusion that real Christian care for one another is much, much bigger than that. It's not limited to what some people do for some others at a particular time of sadness or crisis. It's better understood as all the ways in which we can build each other up to flourish and to live well for Jesus. Why would we come to that conclusion about the nature of of care and pastoral care. Why would we proceed with that kind of a definition? Well, it's on the basis of what the the Bible teaches. I'm I'm pretty sure in recent times, I've pointed out a a number of times, and Richard's picked up on it leading our service today, that the many, many times we're called in God's word to do something for each other or for one another the the each otherness or the one-anotherness of God's word I I googled this I uh, I should probably have looked it up in a more learned book but I just thought I'd try my luck and see what came up got a list of 59 new testament each others or one-anothers And these passages all talk about how we ought to relate to one another. I'll give you a few well-known examples just to to get the machine going. First one, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. So we read that one a moment ago. Jesus also encouraged his disciples to be at peace with each other in Mark chapter 9. Paul, he encourages the disciples in Ephesus To forgive each other just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Now, as I've said, there's 59 of those. And that's not just going to make for a very interesting morning together if we do 59 slides uh, of these kinds of things. What might be more helpful is to to look and see what patterns there are in these huge number of calls to, to sharing life together. And if there were repetitions, if there were patterns, we could say, well, that's given us a bit of a sense of what kind of care God's word calls us to. I found, as I expected, that the commands weren't all distinct. There aren't 59 different things. There's quite a bit of repetition there. And I found that they could be grouped into six categories that at least that made sense to me. Uh, Looking at these six categories, we get a bit of a sense of what pastoral care or life together might be. The first one there is that we ought to love one another. I'm putting these, by the way, in order of which one occurs most frequently. Love one another one by a mile. It's the big one. God's people are to love one another. If we're growing in Jesus Christ, if we're becoming the church that God wants us to be, then we, we must be growing in love. The second one is that we're to be at peace with one another. So this is the second most frequent idea. Now if the first one seems really obvious, you know, love one another, that sounds like a Jesus kind of thing, a churchy kind of thing. This one I think is a bit more surprising you know because people always say oh when you come to church it all looks so nice everybody's smiling out smiling at each other everything's lovely so why would we need commands like this and why would they need to be quite prominent and repeated and repeated and repeated because it turns out that whenever people really do share life they do what people always do They, they bug each other and they annoy each other Folks, beware of of somebody who says to you, you know, our church is great. We we never have a cross word. We never fall out. There's never, you know, I'm going to guess that there are churches like that. Do you know why they're like that? Because they don't interact at all with each other. Because as soon as, as people do interact, whenever you share life, there will be strife. I'm just convinced of that. And that's why this second group of commands is so important. Given that there's going to be strife, try to learn to live at peace. A third category, serve one another. This is the next most frequent one. We read a moment ago about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It's an amazing moment. Jesus is their boss and he does the equivalent of cleaning the loose. He 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 says, "This is what leadership looks like: serve one another." Fourth one, encourage one another. Paul stresses encouragement in his letter, first letter to the Thessalonians. Then the writer to the Hebrews tells him to encourage one another uh, to his readers. Fifth one is bear with one another. That's another really realistic and surprising command, I think. You see, again, the truth is, when when you really share life together, there's going to be times when you, you couldn't be bothered. When that person has either frustrated you, or, or maybe even, for the time being, bored you, to the extent that you'd rather be off doing something else or with, with someone else. But here it is, the command to bear with one another. Carry each other's burdens. And then the sixth one, just for this morning. Teach one another. Get involved in each other's lives. Help each other make sense of life. And to live with greater wisdom. Like iron sharpening iron, the writer of Proverbs famously puts it. Folks, when I looked at those six different ideas, I'm, this is just what, I'm just saying what I see. It seems to me that love one another is kind of like the basic command, would serve well as an umbrella over the rest. So if we're, if we're not loving one another, we can't claim to be a, a biblical Christian church. But love is quite a spurious word. I'm sure you appreciate that. It can be defined in all sorts of ways. And I wonder if the other five don't helpfully give us a sense of what shape our love should take. We're to love each other by serving each other, by encouraging and teaching each other. Whenever times are difficult, we're to strive to be at peace and to bear with one another. So the love that's commanded here is not sentimental, It doesn't mean looking around each other on a Sunday morning going, aha, aren't they lovely? I don't think anybody's doing that this morning anyway. I'm just checking. No, no, none of that. It's not that. It's not that. It's the other stuff. It's to value the the shared life that God has given us enough to overcome strife to put yourself out to see the other person flourish this is the New Testament vision for disciples of Jesus Christ and the life that they're to share together and it's the context for any biblical conversation about pastoral care given that I said I was going to be talking this morning about pastoral care maybe, maybe you're in total shock by now this isn't how you've previously understood pastoral care. Let me explain why that might be, that what we're talking about here today might sound so foreign when when we're thinking about a church loving and caring for each other. It's because of a set of ideas that we've inherited about church-based pastoral care. In his book,